So I, I got this uh, I got this invitation, and I think I'm just going to um, be rude and just open it and see what it says. Today. Okay. Um, so let's see here. All right. You and your family are cordially invited to the first birthday of our daughter, Priscilla. Nice biblical name. Okay. To be held at the temple of the great Lord Serapis on the 17th of the month of June. So next Sunday. Cool. Uh, gifts in honor of the Lord Serapis will be accepted. Feel free to invite a close friend. Oh, cool. So, uh, Julie, we should... Oh, she's gone again, so... Um, you get another unedited sermon today. Um, so, I think that sounds great. Um, the Lord Serapis Temple, um, that's, that's down by the New Alamo. Uh, so, and they just have... They have fantastic food there. They usually start things off with a sacrificial, like, pig or two, and they make these carnitas that are really good. Um... So, of course, we're going to go to that. Um, I'll tell Julie. Um, I know that Charles, who started our church uh, storyline, thinks that going to the temple is bad. Uh, but it's like he didn't get the implications of his own preaching. He always would say there is only one God. Uh, he used to say that all the time. But so all the gods from Isis to Zeus, they're nothing. They're jokes. So, yeah, I'm going to go to the temple. Charles, uh, a few words said, a, sac- a sacrifice given, and then it's just fun with my friends. It's the best place to socialize in all Dallas. But who to invite? Hmm. Let's see. You know, we haven't hung out with the walkers in a while, and they've got those two cute twins. They might enjoy the birthday party for Priscilla. So let me call them. Uh, Ryan's in with the kids, so I'm going to call Sarah here. Okay. Oh, hey Sarah, how's it going? Oh, it's great. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you. <laughs> That's happened every time I've tried to do this. Uh, I'm great. I'm just giving the message at church. So, um, yeah, seriously. But I've just been taking this time. I got this invitation, um, and I wanted to see if after church next Sunday, if you guys were free. Yeah. Okay, good. So, so I have an open invite to Lord Serapis Temple, the place with the really good carnitas, and it's got some of those fruity drinks that Ryan would really like. So, I, I would really like to invite you guys to come. Yeah, I mean, Ryan really does like the fruity drinks. Um, but you really that's in a temple, right? Yeah, of course. It's at a temple, Sarah. Um, but here's the thing. So, I mean, over this last year, so many of us have just grown in our faith and our understanding. Um, it's like we're just in a new place. So I know we used to be really touchy about that sort of thing. Stay away from the temples and all that. But we know there are no real gods and goddesses. It's all fake. So it's time for us to grow up in our spirituality and, and it set us free from all that used to bog us down. We can't worry about all that stuff anymore, Sarah. We're going to, you know, eating at the temple is no big deal. But Sarah, here's the thing. There is no such thing as the Lord Serapis. All that we used to do at the temples, all the sacrifices, all the prayers. Now we know the truth. So we've progressed beyond all that silliness. 
So you guys just need to be, be a little bit more flexible. Come join us. It'll be really good for you. Oh, Charles again. <laughs> so, first of all, uh, Charles has been gone up to Chicago with all his other churches, so I don't think we have to worry about him hearing about this. But second, I saw him eat food that was sacrificed to Athena, I think, um, when we were at the Ballards last year at that party. So he can't even follow his own commands when it comes to this stuff. He contradicts himself. And he's the one that taught us that we're free in Christ. So he doesn't he just hasn't come to grips with all the implications of that yet. You know, he grew up really conservative after all. Oh, no worries, Sarah. I know this is hard. It's been hard. But when you guys finally grasp the deep insights of this new life in Christ, you won't feel any of these conflicting thoughts anymore. I promise. And I know you guys respect Charles and all, and that's that's fine. And he started things for us. But that was the beginning. Like, we're going places. We're growing. And, and you'll get there, too. So, anyway, I just will, I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. I'm glad you're coming. Okay. Thanks, Paul. All right. Bye, Sarah. Bye. Okay. Well done, Sarah. <laughs> um, that was fun. Uh, I, I was researching 1 Corinthians 8, and I came across... Uh, a, a first century manuscript where um, someone was inviting somebody to their one-year-old's birthday party at the temple of Lord Serapis, which is not by the New Alamo. It's actually ancient Corinth. But um, but I just that was insightful to me, so I thought I'd play that up a little bit. Um, we have been working through first the letter of First Corinthians since Easter and thinking about so what is new life in Jesus that comes through the resurrection. What does that mean when it breaks into a community and it starts to hit up against old ways of thought, old ways of of living? It starts to kind of turn things upside down and there's conflict that comes about. Um, And so what does that look like? And uh, so we're about halfway through uh, with the letter now. So that you may be pleased or or, uh, excited about that. I don't know. But um, I wanted to give us a little bit of context uh, for where we're at today based on where we've been. So let me see uh, who's got the best memory, even if maybe you were, you were teaching that day. But in the early chapters of, Cor- of Corinthians, what, what were some of the highlights? What were some of the things that Paul was writing to them about? Sex. Sex, yes. That was last, last week. I'm glad you are paying attention last week. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it was recorded. Um, so. All right. So, yeah, so we've, there's been some hot button topics uh, like sex. And then what are some of also some of the earlier uh, chapters? Yeah. Divisions. Divisions in the church. Yeah, they're they're following Paul and this one's following Apollos and this group is following Cephas. So, yeah. Kicking people out of the church. I had that week. That was fun. Um, What? Yeah. So that's good. So in behind all of these things that Paul's been writing to them has been um, this emphasis on spiritual wisdom, which is the Greek word for gnosis. So uh, uh, the Greek word is gnosis for spiritual wisdom. (laughs) Reverse that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and so what's happened is, just as part of normal religious culture in that time, people were after um, uh, this kind of uh, enlightened spiritual wisdom that they called Gnosis. One of the words for wisdom or knowledge is Gnosis. But it's, it's a special type of knowledge. It's like, I want to be part of this group here, and I go through all my initiation process, and I finally get in, and then they tell me their secrets. And that changes my life. Knowing the secrets, knowing the, the cool thoughts, the spiritual thoughts is what's going to change my life and help me live the kind of life I want and get to the places I want to go, both in this life and the next. And so it's all about these great spiritual ideas, and they called it gnosis. And um, Paul's been saying, you know, you've been after this gnosis, but instead of that helping you, it's actually been hurting the way that you treat each other. You're, you're missing some things here with your great spiritual knowledge. Um, so that's going to come up a lot in chapter eight, too. And I wanted to kind of give us some context for that. Also, uh, the first couple chapters were about things that he had heard about. And as people visited him uh, away from Corinth and he was like, so I hear this has been going on. OK, let's talk about that for a little while. And then uh, starting last week, he's also he received a letter from them. And so at the beginning of chapter seven, he says, so about some of the things you wrote about in your letter. Now, we have to read between the lines a little bit to understand that this was probably not just like a a sweet letter where they wrote to him and said, "Um, dear Paul, you know, our our great leader and apostle, we just really want your help with some things. And And they list out these these questions. This was probably more of a challenging letter saying, you know what, we figured this out and this is what we're going to do. I know it's different than what you taught. So, um, you know, what do you think about that kind of thing? More of a challenge than it is just an open, humble curiosity. So that's part of what's going on with uh, these different questions that they're bringing up. And uh, from two uh, two weeks ago when Ted taught last week, uh, when Charles taught, there's been a sense of like he's he's taking their letter. He's taking their slogans and their phrases and he's interacting with them. So we're going to be in in that, too. So without further ado, um, let's jump into chapter eight. You can either open your Bibles uh, and turn to it. We'll have it up on the screen as well. It's a short chapter, so I'm just going to work through it fairly quickly. And so what you know, when we think about a topic like. Food, sacrifice to idols. We might be tempted to be like, that has no relevance to my life. You know, like, this is not something that I'm, I'm not really going to go to the Temple of Serapis when I go to a movie later today at the Alamo. Um, it's not something that feels like it's relevant or that it connects. But our prayer is when, when God speaks, whether it's in creation or it's in scripture or whatever, it doesn't just stop in one moment. Uh, something powerful happens when God speaks, whether it's through uh, through scripture, through this letter that Paul wrote so long ago that they're like, this has been formative for us as a community. And we're going to share this or through his words and creation or through the prophets or however it, uh, God speaks. Um, it, it, it opens up new horizons. It opens up new doors into new contexts in life. And so. Part of our job as people that uh, study scripture and say, what is God saying to me as we prayed earlier is to say, what's going on here? Why is this a big deal for them? Why is this a big deal for Paul? What is what is eating food, sacrifice idols has have it have to do with? And as we ask those questions, as we dig in, um, God can kind of open our eyes and say, oh, that's kind of like this. And in, in, in my world, this is where I kind of face the heart behind this. This is where I share an attitude with this group of people. 
And so it can speak to us. God's spirit can open those things up. And I want to ask you guys to be uh, thinking about and just being open to what God might say to you as we say this chapter. OK, so um, if you want to pull up, uh, actually skip down to where verse 10 is, which is going to be um, for if anyone with a weak conscience sees you. Um, go one more. And. There we go. One more. Okay. So this is verse 10. And one of my favorite commentators on First Corinthians, uh, Gordon P. says, this is really central to understanding what's going on here. So that's why we're going to go there first. And really chapters 8, 9, and 10 are all wrapped into this particular issue. So um, we're not going to be able to talk about all those other chapters, but it, it's all tied together. So here he's talking about um, what's going on. He says, for if anyone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, with all your gnosis, eating at an idol's temple, won't they be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? Okay, so know this in in the world of Corinth, 2000 years ago, there are lots of temples. There are lots of gods. There are lots of lords. Um, there, there are the Greek pantheon of gods, your Zeus's and your Aphrodite's and your Apollo's. And then there are the lords, which are connected with other sorts of uh, religious groups. So the Lord Serapis I uh, referred to as one of the gods. There was Asclepion and Isis. And I think you mentioned that one last week. And so there's different types of gods, kind of, you know, big G and little G gods or gods and lords. But there's lots of, uh, of worship of gods going on. Um, there are temples and in the temples, when people would go to worship, there was lots of food being consumed. Um, it was a social occasion uh, as much as it was a time of worship. And so people would uh, go for festivals. They would go for celebrations. They would go for the God's birthday. They would have their own birthdays there. You could you could kind of rent out the temple. And as long as you perform the right uh, uh times of worship or the moments of worship, the right prayers, you could go and have your birthday party at the temple and eat there in the temple of the Lord's service. And there would be a table laid out for the God and there would be sacrifices and prayers to the God. And then there would be a table for the worshipers and all this food would be laid out and you would do your your kind of religious ritual and then you would eat and you would drink and you would have a great time. And so it was like a social atmosphere, too along with the worship that happened. And so that was part of what it was, life was like. If you grew up in Corinth and if you weren't a, a Jew that would never go to one of these temples, um, you would just go. Uh, Fee says this was kind of like the restaurants of the ancient world. Um, so it was part of their normal life to go and eat in these temple situations. Um, so when Paul comes and, and uh, God starts this church in Corinth, he says, you know, you guys are no longer worshiping these other gods. There's only one God, you know, and there's one Lord Jesus. And so going to to worship or to sacrifice and to eat at these at these temples, is not a thing that you need to do anymore. And so for a time, uh, probably uh, most of the Corinthian church didn't go, even though that was a big part of culture. They're like, no, we're, we're not going to go. Then a group uh, as they come to the realization that, oh, these gods are just, they're not real. They're fake. It's not that big a deal to go and during the prayers and the sacrifice, we'll just kind of blink our eyes at that. And then we'll get to be a part, though, of the food and the fun and the celebration. And so they're going because of their knowledge about the reality of idols. 
And they're going to the temple and participating, uh, at least in their minds, just in the food, social part of it. And um, there's another group of folks in the church that are more um, nervous about that. They, they have in, some issues with there being idolatry, uh, with, with those idols being real, because they've grown up all their life thinking that these were real. And they're not sure they, that that's right to go and, and be a part of that. Um, and, and it's likely that this group with knowledge is saying, oh, come on, you know, it like we want to we want to grow into this freedom that we have. And so in some way, the weak are being tempted to do this with the knowledgeable. So um, verse one of chapter eight, if you'll bounce back two slides now about food, sacrifice to idols. We know that and whenever he says we know that he's referring to something that they had said, we know that we all possess Knowledge. We all possess gnosis, the spiritual wisdom. But gnosis puffs up while love builds up. I think those two phrases are really the key to this whole thing. And really, I think, to a lot of the letter of 1 Corinthians. Gnosis puffs up while love builds up. We've been talking about in the last couple of weeks some about how do we practice ethics? How do we know what's right and wrong in our world? That can be confusing, right? There's hard things to figure out. So some folks in the Corinthian church were saying, what's right to do in this whole idol food thing? Well, based on my knowledge, based on what I've figured out, I am free to do this. Um, Or maybe they might say on this other thing, I'm not free to do that, but I'm free to do this. So it's kind of figuring out because I've got it figured out in my mind. I've, 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 Put all the pieces together spiritually so I know what I can do and what I can't do. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love means how am I looking at other people in the midst of this? How am I caring for others? How am I wanting to strengthen, build up, encourage other folks in the midst of this whole situation? Um, it's not even really looking at whether it's right or wrong to do something. It's saying how how are other people going to be strengthened or built up around this whole thing? And I think that is, that is good news for us because in the midst of a confusing world where I don't have all the answers, none of us have all the answers about what's right and wrong in every situation, and we've got to discern and work through all that, there's at least a rock to stand on. And I think for Paul, he looks back at Jesus, and Jesus is the one who had all power and all authority, and if you had a right to do what you want, you know, Jesus is the, he's the king. He could have done whatever he wants. But he lays down all of that power and authority and rights. And he gives himself up out of love for people. He doesn't hold on to his power, but he gives himself up. And so I think uh, for following Jesus' lead, Paul's saying, how do we respond in these situations? Our first instinct is love for each other. There's more to be said about that, but we're going to keep going. Uh, Verse two, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God or alternatively, but whoever loves is known. So then verse four about eating this food, sacrifice idols. We know again, this is what you said. An idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. Now, they are probably quoting what Paul has already taught them. That sounds like, you know. As he's teaching people that are used to growing up with idols, he's probably saying, there's only one God, folks. Um, An idol is nothing in the world. They're probably quoting him here. 
But what they've done with that information is he doesn't like what they've done. He doesn't like where they've gone with that in this situation. So he's going to give some corrective. Verse five says, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. So he's going to say, not in our chapter, but in a later chapter, you think just because there are, we've said there's only one God, that what happens in the idols is just not a big deal. Like it's just, it's all fake. But there are spiritual realities going on in the world. There are powers and principalities and spiritual forces of darkness that, that are involved in what has enslaved people, what, has, uh, what has, has had people under their grasp for a long time. And you've got to understand that those things are at work too. It's not just that there's no powers at work in the world besides God, even if there aren't any other gods. Verse 6, yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come and for, for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come and through whom we live. One thing that's interesting there is he says that we've got this one God that made us through whom all things come and for whom we live. He said before, you know, we were bought with a price. So it's not so much about what am I this this life in Christ Corinthians is not so much about what we get to do or not get to do. That's kind of how I grew up thinking like Christianity was like, you know, if I become a Christian, this is me uh, thinking through this at an early age. Then there's all these things I don't get to do. You know, that was that's like I didn't want to become a Christian. because It was like I got to then follow all these rules, which is boring. You know, come on. Um, but I had misunderstood or been mistaught what what this life is all about. Um, in Christ, uh, we have a mission from God. We have uh, we have a calling for whom we live. So our life is going to be one that is for God. So it's not just about what I get to do. It's the opportunity to live for God. Verse seven. But not everyone possesses this knowledge about idols. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrifice, sacrificial food, they think it has been that of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. The food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. And there's some debate over whether verse eight is is Paul speaking his thoughts or whether that's him quoting them again. Let's saying, but food does not bring us near to God. We're nowhere sweet. And, but he probably would have agreed with that anyway. So it's kind of irrelevant. Um, but when he brings up this idea of, of the weak, that they're still kind of wrestling with this whole, are there other gods or not? And if I go to the temple and, and eat at the sacrifice, aren't, aren't I worshiping that God in some way? And they're wrestling with this. Now, it's important to realize that when Paul calls these folks weak, Yes, he does want them to grow in their theology. He doesn't want them to think that there are all these gods that are the same as Jesus and Father God. But he also is doing this as a rhetorical strategy. Like he's calling them weak so that this faction of of people that think that they are knowledgeable and puffed up is going to be like, yeah, they're the weak. We're the knowledgeable ones. Because then he's going to bring it around and really challenge them in just a moment. So don't hear in Paul kind of this... uh, uh, designating this group as weak uh, and that 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 is all we take from that. Really, Paul is wrapping in this group that thinks that they're strong and knowledgeable. So verse nine, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And some versions say the exercise of your rights 
Other versions say, um, this liberty of yours, this, uh, this freedom of yours. So it's got a little bit of a sarcastic edge to it, which I think Paul is, is definitely sarcastic in parts. So be careful that this liberty of yours that you found with your great knowledge doesn't cause a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you with all your gnosis, your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't they be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your gnosis. So Paul is using his words really carefully in saying, uh, won't they be emboldened to do this like you? And that word emboldened is the same word that he says where he says love builds up. It's the same word, builds up and emboldened. And so when people are eating in, in from Corinthian uh, Christians are eating in the temple and they, they think about this wheat group over here that might be built up by joining them. He's like, no, what it's actually doing is tearing them down like you are destroying your brother. You're not building them up. You're destroying them. So verse 12, when you sin against them, that's the first time Tommy goes ahead and drops the, the S word. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. So strong words, unless you're already a vegetarian. Those are strong words. Those will be strong words for me. He's addicted to bacon. Um, but I think he's what he's trying to say, he's going back to this idea that our ethical judgments, our decisions about what's right and wrong, they start with care for our brothers and sisters and our neighbors. And he's saying, you know what, if what I'm doing is going to cause someone's faith to be destroyed, if it's going to drag them back into a life that they were uh, that they were uh, broken and trapped in before. If, if that's what my decision is going to do, then I'll never do it again. I'm willing to sacrifice my rights for the sake of their, their own soul. I'm going to sacrifice that. Or it, it could be the positive. Um, because I love that person, I want to do what's going to build them up and not what's going to tear them down. And so that's where he ends the chapter. And that's going to lead us into chapter nine, uh, some future point where he's going to make that case really strongly again. But that's the chapter. That's eight. And um, I wonder at this point. So I know that rushed rushed through that chapter pretty quick. But I really felt like um, there's so much going on. It's just so foreign to us. I wanted to give give you some uh, of those insights into the words and language and situation. So what do we do with this? What does it look like um, to practice an ethic? Where we're focused on love building up rather than on um, knowledge that puffs us up. I, I'm curious, what, what's kind of stirring in your heart, uh, if anything, right now? What do, you, what do you hear God saying to you? Yes, Jim. Uh, sometimes when you have this revelation, like, you know, from other people or however it comes, and, you know, it feels so free. Someone to say, hey, you need to chill because 
you're so excited about this and gung ho about it, but it's causing the problem that you're not understanding. Mm. I mean, it would be hard to swallow your pride and dial it back on behalf of other people. Yeah. Yeah, because it's exciting. I mean, and it's hard again for us to think, like, yeah, idols aren't real, you know, big deal. But it's, I mean, this is the world that they're in, and for them to for them to come to this realization, idols aren't like the gods are not real compared to Yahweh God. That's huge, and it is. It's exciting, and it is. And and Paul taught them that, and he wanted them to be excited about that. But what do you do with that? Yeah, and it's it's not easy. Other, other things. Yes, sir. Uh, first, I have a question. Who do you think you are? That was earlier. Are you back from Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think there's some application here about uh, the some of the social issues we've discussed mm-hmm. in this chapter previous. Um, other social issues we haven't discussed, if it's LGBT or gender or any, anything where, like, we have, um, like, there are polarities. Emma and I were talking before we came in about something she heard on the radio and how, you know, it's really easy to other mm-hmm. um, the other person to polarize, to uh, even to name call. It, and, and it's one thing you hear on the radio, it's another thing when you're in community with folks. And you have divergent views like that. Um, and I think, you know, when we come into the, it's the divisions that Paul's talking about. Who you follow or what's your take on this. And Paul is saying, like, your relationships with each other and your consideration of each other is more important than what you think about something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you need, you need to consider each other and what's best for each other um, and, and not use your liberty to mow somebody over mm-hmm. and really hurt them. Yeah, good. Yeah, Daryl. I, I think there's two, and I walked out before this discussion opened up. Um, this passage is traditionally, for me, mm-hmm. uh, hammered in situations such as, um, you know, my freedom to drink, mm-hmm. uh, now I call it beverage. Um, and then I'm with someone who has a real problem with alcohol mm-hmm. and maybe even a conscience issue or maybe even an addiction issue. You know, am I, is my freedom, regardless of their concerns, regardless of their, uh, their feelings, and things, is my freedom going to just literally destroy them? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of uh, someone who may have some sort of dietary uh, restrictions in their religion and uh, maybe it's uh, a religion that is not really not Christian, and then they come to become Christian, and then I'm going, here, pork is wonderful, mm-hmm. you know? And, but, and they take a bite, and they feel dirty and guilty and bad. And mm-hmm. what have I just done to them by making them feel like an idiot? Maybe I have actually gone, I've actually made them sin against their own conscience. Mm-hmm. They feel like, whether they're condemning me for eating it or not, they feel like they they've just done, done something mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. And in my freedom, I've crushed them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think there's that here too. Yeah. Sarah? Here, call. When you were talking about 
Yeah. So how how are we in a in any in a big topic like that? You know, how are we making a decision that's based on love and care that are building people up? You know, how are we strengthening people? How are we considering where other people are coming from and what how this issue affects them and not just me? So, yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, okay. So this was a couple years back, mm-hmm. but um, and this is also a church of Christ thing. Mm-hmm. So I and everybody should be Christ background, but. Um, instrumental music was huge and I was part of a church that was trying to make the decision of whether or not to add a service mm-hmm. that had instrumental music in it and like I got the, uh, this this was what was being brought up it was just like there's one part of the church that's hurting because we don't have instrumental music mm-hmm. there's another part of the church that will hurt if we do you know it's like where did your love go you know yeah. where is that and this yeah this is what was used a lot Yes, and that's and that's not easy because both churches are claiming, I mean, both churches, both groups in the church are claiming um, strong feelings and, and hurt feelings based on whichever way this is going to go, and so it's not always you know an easy cut and dry thing. Yeah, but there are some people who literally like because of the way they were raised and because of what they've been taught, they uh-huh. instrumental music was a thing almost. You know, right. it's like it was it was something that was going to be a stumbling block for them. Right. But for others who you know, like this music had helped grow mm-hmm. their, you know, their faith, and so it was like, and then to go into a church where you couldn't have that anymore, it was almost a stumbling block for them. Right. It was like, which stumbling block? Yeah. Who's got the bigger stumbling block here? Yeah. Um, yes, Tom. Yeah. Well, I yeah. just want to make one real quick point because mm-hmm. it goes right along with that. Um, I'm always amazed when. Um, people who have been a Christian for a really long time suddenly revert to the weaker brother like immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, and it, for me, it was used as a stick, exactly what you're talking about. Like, if there's any change in the church, then I'm just going to assume the weaker brother to try and make sure that change stops immediately. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm, I try to separate the idea that Paul's talking about here, which yeah. is something very specific to like brand new Christians mm-hmm. that have been in this way of life in the past. Mm-hmm. And I've always been shocked when someone who's been a Christian for 30 years or whatever all of a sudden decides that uh, whether we drink out of one communion cup or 30 communion cups is now going to destroy my faith. Right. And so I do think that there's some room here for, like I feel a tension between demonstrating love to those especially within the church, but also... Helping people grow and move. Yes. Sometimes that involves conflict. And yeah. Sometimes that involves arguments and discussion and difficulty. And, yeah. And that's not always... It's such a complicated... Yeah. It is complicated. Yeah. And just sort of adding on to that, like, it's just ownership. Like ownership. Like, taking ownership for your perspective and mm-hmm. your, like, ideals and what, like, your religion is. And then also, in return... Listening to the ownership of others and their stories mm. to perpetuate that conflict, which is healthy. Right. It's not bad that we're having conflict, especially if we're going to listen to each other and understand uh, the other perspective. Um, real quick, Ben, and then Ted, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, I think connected to 
previously, thinking about the way in which we make an ethic of love the knowledge that mm-hmm. actually destroys and calls to be loving. <laughs> Paul wants to say, um, you're bound by love to understand how you relate with one another. And we take that knowledge um, and then use that, um, as Tim was uh, alluding to, uh, to make decisions that isn't actually based on that moment, uh, sort of the constant ad hoc um, discovery of what does love require, which might look different today than it did last week or last year, um, uh, to understand how we live in relationship with one another. Mm. We just use our knowledge about what Paul says in First Corinthians about love uh, to be the very thing that destroys what love does require. In that mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that? Um, so yeah, just for me, it's it's in the context of this love for the person, it's the empathy for understanding where they are in the process and respect and understanding of your own process in getting there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times that. I have, um, through reading a book or having a conversation or just years of going through something, have arrived at some understanding of something that was different from before. And for whatever reason, the expectation is, well, everyone else should think the same way too. And you want to shortcut that mm-hmm. and get them right where you are immediately. And, you know, like, hey, I have this new knowledge. You need to understand this. And this, this is the program now. Yeah. You know, there's, there was a process. There was a journey that was that that got me there. That if this other person is going to get there too, they're going to have to take that same or similar journey as well. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Time. Yeah. Um, I just kind of going back to a little bit of what Charles said when we have issues that I know I can't like spin you around the plant here. <laughs> um, when there are things, different issues that come up, and there's two different sides, and both sides feel very, very strongly about mm-hmm. their position. I mean, there's usually a lot of emotion in mm-hmm. it. And I think the the hard thing is that we focus so much on the issue that we forget that we're talking to a person, mm-hmm. right? Like, in order to build each other up in love, mm-hmm. I have to look at the other person, even if I fundamentally disagree with everything that their position is, I have to look at them and recognize, hey, you're a human being, and not only are you a human being, you are a child of God. Mm -hmm. God made you, and God loves you. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we always agree, but if I recognize that, then I can actually have a conversation with you Mm -hmm. in love, where there is conflict too, and there may be disagreement, mm-hmm. but I can still treat you and love you as a child of God because that's who you are. Yeah. And when you have that two-way thing working, then that's where you can actually have a conversation. And then when I when that's missing, that's where you have this, you know, the knowledge that puffed up the the division, mm-hmm. the hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. So, and I, um, you guys said a lot of the things that I was thinking were important things for us to take away. Um, so we won't, I won't rehash that. Um, but what I do hope is that we feel like God is equipping us. And that's good news, that God is equipping us for how to be his people in a world that is divided. So how do we love each other? How do we love our neighbors um, in a world that's so divided? Well, I think God has something to say about that. It's not a new thing. Um, and he wants us to be able to, to have conversations and conflict and, and to be in relationship and to work through things and to say, well, is this right or wrong? I don't know. And when we work on it together.
Um, so it's good news. We are not alone. God's Spirit is at work in this church today.